Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. The pharmaceutical industry is one of those industries that everyone seems to have a love-hate relationship with. Back in 2019, Harvard did a study that found that about 58% of Americans had negative views on the pharmaceutical industry and they did not trust them. And they also discovered that there is a lot of fraud in the pharmaceutical industry. And then comes along a pandemic and people's faith in the pharmaceutical industry goes up. And here we are a few years later and people are once again starting to distrust the pharmaceutical companies and are starting to realize that the pharmaceutical industry is a business and that the people are the customers and at the end of the day, businesses are in business to make money. So that being said, just like anything else, there are pros and cons when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry. And today I have Troy Duell on the show, who has been in the pharmaceutical industry for well over 20 years, and he is going to discuss what he learned from the inside and how his company is combining the pharmaceutical industry and the supplement industry to provide better care for people to be able to do some more preventative care and get ahead of potential illnesses and disease states before your body starts to give out on you. So we'll dive into more of Troy's background here in a couple of seconds. But Troy has worked with some of the largest companies in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. And so he has seen a lot of stuff from the inside. And I'm very excited to have a chat with him to learn more about some of the inner workings of these companies and just what is going on behind the scenes. So Troy also has his own company. It's called Centurion Labs, and you can find that at centurionlabs.com. And he has a discount for anyone listening to this show. If you use the code SUMMIT, you can get 67% off of Bump DHA, Defender Immunity Boost, or Defender PM. So if you head on over to his website, then you can check those out. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Troy. Thank you, Troy, for coming on to the show. Super excited about being here. Appreciate you having me, Brian. Of course. And I'm very excited for this conversation because you have come from the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and I'm very interested to hear what brought you from that industry into the work that you're doing now. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about your background and who you are. Absolutely. I, I think what has led me along the path is I started out fairly young when I was 11 or 12, really getting into fitness and not real sure what drove me there probably that competitive desire with my oldest brother to always have a competitive advantage towards him. So I would run, do push-ups, do everything, and uh, always looked to get better. And uh, when I did that, that kind of led into my desire in college to do some research on it and got a degree in sports medicine and kinesiology and just loved learning about how the body works and how to make the body more efficient and really see what the body is capable of, because I think it's uh, an incredibly designed machine and just learned a great deal about it from that. Um, then after doing that, I went and played uh, professional soccer for about four years and uh, really continued to try to strive to get the best and most out of my body, uh, what little God gave me uh, and the abilities. So just growing in that and from there was teaching and coaching, so always trying to add a little something to the mix. And 
finally ended up getting into pharmaceutical world and have been there ever since. So I uh, started uh, my own pharmaceutical company in 2005 called Centurion Labs, and we just grew it from there. It's kind of interesting that you went the pharma route considering all of your experience with the body. And I'm, I'm interested to know, why don't you choose something like uh, physical therapy or become a surgeon or athletic trainer or something like that? What drove you to become uh, or get into the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah, it's a great question, one I get all the time. So initially, I was thinking physical therapy would be a great line of work to get into. Did some internships with that, and it just didn't really light a fire within me about, hey, how to get better. And I, I think some of that dealt with, if you're dealing with athletes, they always want to get better, but you're not always dealing with athletes within the physical therapy world. You have a lot of people who don't want to get better and they're not motivated to get better. So that was one thing that kind of kept me from going in the physical therapy world. With uh, sports medicine, athletic training, I did that for several years while I was still doing the uh, playing soccer. So I was helping with athletic training and doing that kind of stuff. But um, it ended up being that the hours were just so long that, and you weren't getting paid a lot. So uh, decided to to jump into the pharmaceutical world, and that's kind of what led me down that path because I was able to to still do the research and learn more about the body and uh, build my knowledge and interact within the medical community without uh, losing, I guess, income and still having some better hours. So being in the pharmaceutical industry, can you tell us what is kind of the the nuances with being in that industry? What's the day-to-day operations and what are some things you would love to see changed? It, that's a great question. I think day-to-day, it depends on what part you're in. If you're in, in the sales world, you know, I, I think we all have this uh, vision of these pharmaceutical reps get into a doctor's office and they're just in the back palling around and spending 30 to 45 minutes with them and doing all kinds of things. But the reality is, most of the time your your interaction with a doctor is about 30 to 45 seconds. So it's not a huge amount of time if you're in the sales world. And then if you're on the inside and you're doing training and educating and trying to build uh, other products, then you're doing a lot of research to try to figure out what disease states you can go after and things like that. So in, in my realm, we're kind of a hybrid company where we've gotten into supplements and we do pharmaceuticals. We're trying to figure out, and my passion is really finding things that, what can we do that, you know, pharmaceuticals has a role, but I think too often it's used as a lifestyle instead of a crutch. So what I mean by that is we'll take blood pressure medications to help get our blood pressure down. But instead of changing our lifestyle and getting healthy, we want to stay on that blood pressure medication forever because it's easy. So we need to change our mindset with medicines and use them for a crutch for a short time until we get our lifestyle right that our bodies can cope and deal with it. And that's what I would love to see changed within the pharmaceutical realm because you know, no pharmaceutical comes in and changes the makeup of who you are currently. Uh, now, it will only speed up a process that your body already does, slow down a process that your body already does, or stop it altogether. 
And if instead you do something that comes alongside it, like your diet and exercise and making sure that you're taking care of yourself and we're much more proactive with our health, then I think it can walk alongside to really help us instead of just making it the easy button. Do you know what the average number of medications an American typically takes every single day? Is there a number like that that's readily available? There are some numbers out there. Most of them, you'll find that it's over the age of 60. I think uh, the average American takes five to seven medications a day. So, And a lot of those are the the statins for cholesterol, uh, blood pressure medications, and then in any other cardiovascular type related products. You also have diabetes. I'm from the South, so diabetes is a huge issue here in the South because we just don't have a great diet. So most of the things I'd say, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it's in the 60 to 70% of the medications that we take are things that if we just changed our lifestyle, we could eliminate a lot of them or at least reduce the amount that we're taking. Interesting. How did we get to this point where we would rather take a pill to try to mitigate how crappy we feel instead of adjusting our lifestyle mm-hmm. to not get into that situation in the first place? Uh, it's a great question. I, I guess we can go back and blame it on the microwave because it's so easy to get food now. You just press a button for one minute and you have your food. Uh, or or the sitcom where in 30 minutes our lives are are back to normal. We've laughed. We've gone from crying to laughing to figuring everything out in 30 minutes. So I, I just think part of it is just our culture where we've we've said, you know, we want something easy. We want something fast. And if there's any effort or it's really hard, we typically just go, hey, I don't don't want to do that. Or if it takes more than 30 minutes a day or just some discipline to do things. And unfortunately, I think we've just lost some of that passion to to be self-sufficient and uh, build some of that in ourselves. And uh, we don't have the patience anymore. Cell phones and iPhones and everything else that we have, we get everything instant now. And I think we think our health should be the same way. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, with the the health crisis that we had over the last couple of years, I thought that would be the perfect kickoff point for people to recognize the things that they do in their life can put them at more risk for different health complications. And it seems like it did the exact opposite because most people stopped moving. Um, People, you know, when you're stressed out and stuff, you just start consuming a lot of food, drinking a lot of alcohol, taking a lot of substance abuse, etc. And I think... I thought the last number I saw was like the average weight gain in that first year of COVID was over 40 pounds for Americans, which is the wrong direction you want to be going during a health crisis. So it, it's it's sad Definitely. that that's yeah. the way we're trending. I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting you said that. I don't know if you've seen this stat, but 95% of those people who died from COVID during the COVID crisis had at least one comorbidity. And on average, they had four comorbidities. So 95% of people who died from it probably could have helped themselves by having a lifestyle that was filled with exercise, a good diet. And if you do those kinds of things, you are much less likely to be affected by a disease, whether it's 
COVID or the flu or even just a cold for that matter. Yep. And that was one of the things I was really disappointed in is um, a lot of the media and stuff that you see, they try to stay away from talking about the comorbidities and that's important information and uh, knowledge is power. And if you can recognize that what it is that you're doing in your own life can uh, make you more susceptible to disease or less, then hopefully you can make that choice to make the necessary changes if you want to be in a healthier state. Absolutely. And, and I think if you talk to anybody who had some type of, whether they were obese or they had high blood pressure or cholesterol issues, and they went into, uh, and they took control of their own health, and they had the right diet, and they exercised, and they saw those things come down over time without the use of medication, those people are tenfold more excited about their health, and they're proud of what they've done, and it is an accomplishment and an achievement that they should be proud of, but we, as a society, don't look at it that way. Instead, we, again, want to take the, the easy way out. So let's say someone decides that they do want to make changes. They're on you know, seven medications and they decide to start getting healthier, et cetera. Um, it's probably not ideal for them to just drop their medications and go cold turkey. So what are some good steps that people can take to start making that transition? And how do they know when it is time to start backing off on some of their medications? I think obviously anytime you start down that path, staying alongside your doctor, making sure that he's up to speed with what you're doing. And then as you see that improvement, then naturally you can begin to push the, the question with them and say, hey, i am started my diet, I've started my exercise, and we're beginning to make those changes. And at what point can I begin to lower these medications? And most doctors will look for opportunities to do that. If they're not, then I would highly recommend finding another doctor because you want a doctor who is about trying to get you as healthy as possible. And, you know, to, to kind of answer your question of what do they need to do? I, I don't think we need to do anything that's super hard, but we just need to be intentional about some things. You know, uh, what I always like to say is when you go out to lunch and you get that hamburger, you get something else, get a side salad instead of those French fries. And that's just one baby step to get you into the discipline and the habit of getting the good nutrition that you need. You know, if you're in an office building or you're at a department store, start taking the stairs instead of taking an escalator or an elevator. And that's a great way to start incorporating just your daily life ways to get healthy and start moving again. Is there incentives in place between pharmaceutical companies and doctors that would um, kind of be a conflict for doctors to want to take people off medication? Uh, that's a great question. I know that there are incentives in ways along the lines of uh, vaccination status. So pediatricians oftentimes are incentivized to make sure that certain vaccines are done and they get them on board with that. Um, there are insurance companies that will come in and bonus people based on what products they've done. But it, until the last couple of years, I will say, you know, I think COVID kind of blew up our whole medical establishment. But um, 
and took away the right of a lot of these doctors to practice medicine. It was a, a crazy time. But up until that point, most doctors would do what was best for their patient. You know, there may be a handful that that wouldn't, um, but they would do what, what was best for them. But I can give you a great example of an interaction I had with a doctor that I think is telling among some of the physicians that are out there. I was early on in my career, but it was a huge, huge impact on my life because I walk in and it's a doctor who I'd seen a couple of times, uh, didn't have a real relationship with him, but was talking to him and he was eating donuts and some other cookies or something like that. And we got into a nutrition discussion and it was, you know, wouldn't it be great to eat healthy and really encourage that in your patients somewhere along those lines? And he said, no, I'm not concerned about that at all because I've got this new cholesterol medication that I'll take and it will wipe out any cholesterol increase that I'll have. And I'll do the same for my patients. So when you have that mindset within your physicians, I think that's what happens more than the mindset of, you know, I'm getting bonused by some insurance company or something else. I think it's just that uh, quick fix mentality and, you know, we'll, we'll get it done. Yeah, I think taking a look at the health of your physician is a great first step to see if it's someone that you want to work with. <laughs> totally, totally agree. Uh, and if you see him out back smoking, uh, but when you're pulling up or something like that, find another doctor because they clearly don't care enough about their own health uh, to to do the right thing. So why would they care about yours? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to take um, uh, heart related advice from a physician that's 350 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we shouldn't. Uh -uh. Uh, but oftentimes we do just because they say it says doctor. Um, so. Unfortunately, that's where we are. Now, there's there's an interesting line between what's considered um, a pharmaceutical versus a supplement. And uh, can you tell us what that line is? What makes something a supplement and what makes it a medication? Medications typically go through um, anywhere from 10 to 20 years of research and studies and things like that. Now, they can't happen naturally. So they're not in nature by themselves. They have to be extracted somehow. They've got to be tweaked. They've got to be pasteurized. Some type of process to make it uh, less natural that you can't get through your normal dietary needs um, or that you may have trouble finding in your dietary needs. So there's even a group of uh, products called medical foods that fall in line. So if, say, you can't get a certain ingredient or certain nutrient, then you could fall in line with a medical food, which is prescription, and it's kind of a step up from the supplement world even. But supplements are not going to be quite as regulated, uh, which is both good and bad because it keeps the cost down. Um, and they're typically going to be found in your herbals, your vitamins, anything else that you can find in nature or possibly get through your diet itself. And uh, what about like patents and all that stuff? So is there any supplements that are basically the same as typical pharmaceuticals, but the only difference is like they extract that ingredient out of it and make it more potent and then throw a patent on it? 
There can be. I think probably the the best example, there are some omega-3s that have gotten patents to them that are prescription-level patents. Um, and with those, I think it they're what I've heard is it goes into the pasture pasteurization process and kind of this refining thing. I, d- I don't know exactly what made them, the FDA, come in and say, here's the biggest difference between what you're getting with this and, and what you get over the counter. I think part of it is just the amount that they get. You know, folic acid is another one that if it's one milligram or more with folic acid, that's considered a prescription. If it's less than that, then it's not. And it has to do with the fact that folic acid, because that was synthetic, it's not something found in nature. They they created that in a lab and um, it blocks pernicious anemia or it can allow people to think that they don't have a B12 deficiency. So they have to go in and test individuals if they're over um, if they're taking over one milligram of folic acid. So that's where that comes from. So those are the two best examples I could think of. Tell us a little bit more about folic acid. Is folic acid itself the best way um, to get like B12 and stuff into your system? Or is there a better way to enhance that? I would say they're what most people don't know. And I, I certainly didn't know until I dove into this a little bit more. There are three types of folic acid or folate. So one of those types of folate is folic acid. Another type is methylfolate, and the third is phalenic. So phalenic acid and methylfolate are found in nature. So you get that through your leafy greens, your vegetables, and it's natural. Uh, the folic acid is what they formed in the lab in 1943. You'll see that on the back of every cereal box. You'll see it on your breads. You'll see it in your pastas. You'll see it all over the place. So in 1996, our government came in in an effort to reduce neural tube defects in pregnant women. Uh, they decided, which was at the time less than one in a thousand, I think, something like that, one in 10,000. And they decided at the time they would supplement all of our foods with folic acid. What they didn't take into consideration is there's always a downside to doing something like that. In this case, they've seen an increase in certain cancers like colon cancer and breast cancer. They've seen an increase in uh, food allergies. So when I was growing up, it was unheard of in a class of 35 to have somebody with any allergies. Now it's almost unheard of to have a class of 35 without 10 allergies in the class. And they've there are a lot of studies. There was one that came out, I guess it was 2019, from the uh, American Association of Asthma and Immunologists, so it's Quad AI group, that showed that folic acid actually increases this incidence of allergies in kids. So we want to try to reduce that intake by going with more natural forms. And thankfully, since those things have happened in the last 10 years, they've found ways to mimic nature with methylfolate and folinic acid that they can make in a lab, but it is more like the natural form, and that's what you want to be taking if you're supplementing at all. Obviously, the best way is to eat more lettuce, eat more greens, and get your fruits and vegetables. So that's the best way to get the folate into your, into your system. 
Interesting. So if someone that consumes a lot of um, uh, junk food, for example, that has folic acid in it, if they went and they got a B12 test, are they going to test high on the B12 or are they going to test low typically? They'll probably, and, and B12 is going to be a little different. So the B12 is going to be coming from your meats and your protein type substances. So that's where you're going to get a lot of your B12. What we have seen recently is that individuals who are vegans have lower B12 levels. So that's something that a, a, a vegan really needs to be looking at and watching over so they don't get to the point of being B12 deficient. Now, if they're taking a lot of folic acid and it's through their um, pastas, cereals, any grains, bread, anything like that, what you'll find is they typically supplement with cyanocobalamin, which is a, a synthetic form of B12 as well. So it should boost that B12 level unless they have some kind of condition, which was kind of the second part of the folate piece called MTHFR. MTHFR is a uh, genetic morph polymorphism. So it's a genetic defect that deals with that enzyme um, that creates or allows your body to process folate. So if you have this defect, and they say about 40 to 60% of people do, then you can't process the folate at all, or you can't process folic acid. So you need to be taking and ensuring that you are taking methylfolate and folinic acid so your body can process it. And they've linked MTHFR to increased infertility uh, rates. Uh, they've linked it to increased rates with um, cardiovascular events, all kinds of things when it comes to, to MTHFR. So certainly something to get checked out if you're having some health issues. Now, has MTHFR been around for a long time or is it becoming more and more prevalent? MTHFR itself has been around for a long time, but it hasn't ever really been an issue till probably, and the science in the last 20 to 25 years has really caught up and been working on MTHFR. But prior to the last 30 years, we were getting a lot more uh, fruits and vegetables, lettuce, other things that now we're all into the processed foods, we're into the fast food. So we're not getting as much of those nutrients that maybe we once were because, again, we've gone to the fast food uh, mentality or the, the get it right away mentality and vegetables typically don't have that. But it's always been there. It just hasn't always expressed itself quite as much as it has now. And folic acid, um, kind of another stopping point on that is folic acid actually increases the effects because it they talk about how it just floats around in your bloodstream and competes with good folate to cause even more issues in your body. Interesting. So it seems like in, we'll say probably the last hundred years or so, um, our, in, uh, our way of modernizing the way that we um, consume food, our lifestyles, all that type of stuff, the way that it's changing, it's really starting to highlight some of the, um, inadequacies in our uh, health systems within our own body. It's highlighting gene mutations. It's showing the breakdown of um, just different systems that cause disease. And so we're, we're, it seems like 
we're advancing much faster than the body can adapt. So at what point, hmm. what point does the entire system, our health system start breaking down and we can't function anymore? Like our genes just fall apart. Everything falls apart. I, uh, great question. I don't see that happening because my hope is, as kind of your your testimony is, you were not doing well, and then you, uh, from a health standpoint, but then you started taking ownership of your health. And I think as we continue this uh, process, I think COVID was an uh, an eye opening experience for a lot of people to begin to take ownership, greater ownership of their health, because I mean it's it's the first time in history where people would go to the ER or they'd go to a doctor and they'd say, no, go home. We don't want to treat you. Wait until you get so bad that you need to come back. So what did that naturally do for all of us? It made us look for ways to go, okay, how can I get better? What are ways that I can do for myself that I that they're not helping us with? So my hope is um, it's actually going to, to help us take ownership of our health and I, to see a, a resurgence of that, if you will. And, and I think um, what we've seen with fitness and this increased desire to, to eat healthy, uh, I think all of that will come into play and, and hopefully keep us from going down that path. As, as long as we're open and honest with the dialogue about what's going on and you don't have a repression of, of information or anything else, I think we'll be fine from that standpoint, personally. Yeah, I, I hope that's true. I hope people start waking up to some stuff and m making changes and recognizing that our bodies and our lives are not in an Amazon Prime uh, situation where it can get fixed in two <laughs> days. You can't just ship out a new body Absolutely. every two days. So um, uh, briefly, I would love to hear from you just a couple different ways people can enhance their immune systems, uh, especially going into you know the new season here um, and being more exposed to different colds, flus, etc. Uh, so can you give us a couple quick tips on how to boost the immune system? Yeah, and I, I think all the tips are easy, but they're hard, meaning they take some discipline. So it starts with the things that we've always heard. Exercise and diet are key. So if you've got a strong foundation where your body is healthy, there are plenty of studies out there that show exercise increases our immune health by releasing endorphins and other neurotransmitters that our body needs to help build the cellular structure to fight off disease. Diet, making sure that we're getting the right nutrients in our diet, uh, that we're going with lettuces, uh, vegetables, fruits, everything our mom always told us that we needed to eat. It was true. We need to eat and we need to do a well-balanced diet of it. Reduce a lot of the processed foods so our body can deal with the things that need to happen. And then understand that there are some things that we probably need to supplement with. So find a good supplement that has the immune health properties that you're looking for. You know, I, I know that you guys have some great immune health products. Uh, we have a couple of immune health products. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I mean, as, as long as there's some science to back it up. Uh, but you need to be disciplined to take it and to do those things. Uh, and if you do that, I think it's key for our immune health. You know, for me, the research that I've done a lot of the, the flavonoids like quercetin and luteolin, 
are great options for you. Of course, your vitamin C, your vitamin D intake, which we've learned during COVID, the importance of vitamin D and how it helps our immune health. So jumping into those things and, and of course, zinc, which has been around for years. But all those things, I think, are huge uh, things that you need to look at your diet and see if you're getting enough. If not, then find some way to supplement that uh, into your diet. Awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your own immune boosting products because you have provided a generous code of Summit for 67% off of some of them. So let's learn a little bit more what's in your products. Yeah. So we've got two different immune boosting products. One that is uh, basically for a daytime immune health that has the, uh, the quercetin in it. It has vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc and copper because we know that if you're taking zinc you need some copper because zinc will deplete your copper levels and that can create a kind of a rebound effect and cause your immune health to go down so all those ingredients were kind of researched during covid and flu and everything else to help uh, increase people's immune health so that they could help uh, assist their body to fight that off and then we have another product called defender pm that has melatonin in it, which as we all know or have heard, there is some sleep uh, positive benefits from that or sleep benefits. But what most of us don't know and what I didn't know until I jumped into the research on it is melatonin is produced 5% by your pineal gland, which is the gland that helps you with sleep. But it's 95% in your mitochondria, which is where a lot of the disease fighting portions uh, of your immune health come from. So um, that's the, the basis there with luteolin. It also has vitamin C, D, uh, and zinc in that as well. So two great products, um, good options if somebody wanted to, to look at those. And that can be found at centurionlabs.com. You're also on Facebook and Twitter as well at the, the Centurion Way. And uh, my final question for you is, what is it that you do every single day to keep yourself healthy? Uh, great question and appreciate the question because it, it's something that challenges me to make sure that I'm doing. And I, I think one is to move and make sure that I'm exercising every day, or at least for me, um, I try to exercise four days a week. And then on those days that I don't, I'm at least doing a walk. And then when I have the opportunity, I take, as I mentioned earlier, I take the stairs instead of an elevator or escalator. Um, Two reasons. One, it's healthy because I'm getting in the action, but sick people typically don't take stairs, so you you stay less sick that way as well. So that's the added benefit. Uh, and then on my on my diet, trying to really have a healthy, clean diet uh, as much as possible. I do have a cheat day each week, so I can say, hey, I'm not going to have it today, but I'm going to push it to Saturday is typically when I do it. And um, that way I'm eating healthy Throughout the week, when I go out to eat, I really try to focus on getting a salad and doing those little things uh, instead of fries or, or something else. Unless it's, I'll, I'll be honest, there are times if I go to a restaurant and they say, this is our specialty, and say I was visiting you up in Washington State and it was a great restaurant that had a specialty, I may, I may cheat and try it then uh, instead of getting the salad. But really try to focus on getting a salad, eating healthy at, at lunch and dinner and getting a good solid breakfast in as well. And, you know, the nice thing about uh, putting a lot of effort into your 
lifestyle, your diet and all that type of stuff is you can do those little cheat meals here and there too, because you recognize that you're going to jump right back on the, uh, the wagon at your next meal. So it won't impact you as much as if you did it all the time. So that's the, that's the nice part. And you would appreciate it a little bit more too, when you do that little cheat. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Troy, I, definitely enjoyed talking to you um i love this conversation i love seeing the crossover between the pharmaceutical industry and uh, more natural approaches because you know i I do think we are at a point where we're gonna need both and we shouldn't poo poo one or the other we should figure out how to mix and blend the two and uh, find a healthy balance between them for people because you know the way that the world is progressing. It's progressing faster than we can adapt, and we're going to need um, help from both sides. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. Brian, absolutely appreciate it. Appreciate what you do because I think the things you're doing uh, are expanding that desire for people to take ownership of their health. So I appreciate that. That was a very fascinating conversation talking with Troy. And I love to learn more about the inner workings of these industries because you really can see just what's going on and finding different ways to stay in business. And at the end of the day, when it comes to our health, we should be looking for second opinions and be looking out for ourselves because there are a lot of companies, a lot of people, a lot of products, etc., out there that are trying to capitalize on people in weak positions. And um, that is really not okay. So if you do run into anything like that, Always make sure to get a second opinion or to chat with other professionals in the industry and see if they are seeing and experiencing the same thing by looking at you and your health goals and uh, to figure out if what is recommended is actually right for you. So don't forget, you can go over to centurionlabs.com and you can use the code SUMMIT to get 67% off of Bump DHA. Defender Immunity Boost or Defender PM. So head on over there and support Troy and the work Troy is doing. Now, if you would like to support me while also supporting yourself, then go over and try out some electrolytes from Element. L-M-N-T is how you spell that drinkelement.com. I am an investor with Element because I really like their product and I use Element every single day. And if you go through my link, summitforwellness.com slash LMNT and get yourself some electrolytes, then they send me some electrolytes. So you can help me out with that because I am starting to run low on my raspberry element and I need to get another box of it. So head on over to summitforwellness.com slash element and try them out. All right. In the next episode, I have Ashok Gupta onto the show. Let's go learn who he is and what we'll be talking about. Ashik, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Right. Well, I used to run a speed dating company many, many years ago when I was very young. Wow. I Do those even exist anymore? Or is that just what the Ooh, dating nice. apps are now? Yeah, no, speed dating still going strong. <laughs> that's amazing. And uh, what will we be learning about in our interview together? Well, we'll be talking about uh, neuroplasticity and brain retraining and how it's the new hot topic in medicine that many conditions, chronic conditions and illnesses that seem to linger are as a result of our own brain creating this type of response, this 
overprotective response and how can brain retraining and neuroplasticity get us back to optimal health? And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? So it sounds a bit boring, but just more fruits and vegetables, right? So uh, the more variety we can have, the better. So I talk about eating the rainbow. Eat the rainbow and uh, you'll be healthy. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? So I think number one is meditate. You know, we've all heard about meditation. Most of us don't actually do it, but actually just investing 20 minutes of meditation a day has been shown to be the mo the easiest way of improving your overall health outcome. So that's my first one. Uh, second one is exercise. We all know about exercise and activity. So just moving more 30 to 40 minutes a day, get out there, move, walk, whatever you need to do. And thirdly, a big thing we neglect in life is sleep. Get your sleep, get a minimum of seven and a half hours sleep, get it deeper and uh, uh, you'll feel the benefits of it. Anytime I have someone coming onto the show to talk about the brain, it is always fascinating to learn just the new research and how uh, moldable the brain can be. And the Gupta program, which is what we will be talking about in that episode, is actually really neat. He has sent it over to me to review, and it is really cool the support that they are helping people with in their program. So until next time, keep climbing to the peak of your health.